would like to uh, thank the choir for such an amazing start this evening. It gives me a whole new appreciation for the scripture which defines preaching as foolishness. And after I heard that fabulous rendition of Jerusalem, it makes me appreciate that verse so much more and humbled me all the more as I think about the amazing power that is found in that beautiful song. Thank the Lord and you for that and for the many prayers that have been offered on my behalf throughout this week. I thank you for that, and I thank the Lord that I have such a supportive, wonderful fellowship here. I want you to know how much Jesus loves you. I want you to know that up front. Because there'll be a moment or two this evening where you may wonder. So I'm asking you to bear with me to the end. And I will prove that it's true without a shadow of a doubt. Let's pray. Lord, your word teaches us that it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Teach us, Lord, to be ready for both. Amen. I would like to read the portion of Scripture this evening. Actually, there's several of them that refer to the uh, theme above me that we have studied all week long. But before I do that, I want to bring to your attention... Some very important facts. First of all, that out of six and a half billion people on this planet, roughly, give or take a few hundred million, whatever it is, there are 800 of you here this evening. And you made preparation and you made plans and you got yourself packed and ready and you decided to come to Eastern Camp. Thank God for that. Now the truth of the matter is, He brought you here. No, I mean, he brought you here. These 800 people out of 6.5 billion, he has brought here to hear the gospel message for a whole week. Now, I would suggest to you and remind you that the Scripture says, those to whom much is given, much will be required. And there are 800 people here tonight who throughout this week, much has been given. And make no mistake about it, the other half of that verse is true, that much will be required. I will be reading many references this evening. I do not and would not suggest that you try to page through them But I would like to read the portion specifically to begin with 
that relates to our theme above. And that particular chapter is found in Revelations chapter 20. And I'd like to read some verses here. Just listen. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I would also like to read this evening some words from Jesus himself. As found in Luke chapter 16. Listen to these words and, and we will come back to them. Because Jesus here is describing the deaths of a righteous man and the death of an unrighteous man. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. This evening, what I feel the Lord inspiring us to focus on is life and death, but mostly judgment. Thankfully, the, the lessons throughout this week have really covered a spectrum of not so much the judgment itself, and perhaps that was reserved for this evening, I, I don't know, but all of the other aspects that come into the process the experience of judgment. This evening what I would like to do is look at the scripture as they are laid out before us on other references as well. 
so that we might be prepared. So that you and I can meet the judgment with certainty, with confidence, not with fear and in trembling and short trepidations, but with confidence coming boldly before the Lord when our judgment is upon us and before us. And this evening what I would like to do is beginning, begin by looking at what I will call judgment number one. Judgment number one. I would appreciate for a moment if the believers would close their eyes for a moment. Those who are born again, just close your eyes for a moment and, and I'll give you the moment when I would ask you to open them again. Imagine for a moment that you have just now closed your eyes in death. And Jesus has sent his angels to carry you into the bosom of Abraham. And Jesus has described this as complete and total comfort. No sorrow, no pain, no fear, just complete comfort and rest. And now open your eyes. As you hear the trumpet sound, and the graves are open, and you are brought up from the bosom of Abraham, you are given a new body, you meet others who are now alive and joining you as Jesus lifts you into the sky. And you are given a new body, and so shall you forever be with the Lord. And then, one of my favorite scriptures will come to pass. I am hopeful that no one in this audience knows that verse. Let me read it for you, and then you'll quickly remember, I'm sure. Very abstract. Perhaps you've never considered it, but listen to this fabulous verse found in the chapter of love. And now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I see. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I am known. When we shall see him face to face, that will be a great moment. That will be an ecstatic moment. That will be a moment that we can't dream of in the joy and the inexplicable fascination we have and will have in seeing his face for the first time. But the additional thing that will happen at that instant is that we will have the same knowledge that got us into trouble in the first place. You may remember the temptation in the Garden of Eden. How the evil one came to Adam and to Eve and said to them, 
Eat this fruit, and you shall be as gods. You shall know as God knows. And we know the rest of that story. Here, that is truly coming to pass. Every saint that has gone before you, you think they're strangers? You will know them, and they will know you. There will be a a necessary time for a get-to-know-you session. You will know them intimately. You will know Moses. You will know Abraham. You will walk with Isaac. You will love Rahab, the harlot. You will know David. Every conceivable mystery about heaven and earth, you will know instantly. Without fear of retribution. I love that. And I look forward to that. Not so much as to see Christ's face. No, nothing compares with that. But I love the fact that you and I will know as we are known. And how is it that we are known? The scripture tells us that the Father knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And so will we. We will know his thoughts and intents. We will know the thoughts and intents of of the sages of all ages. That I look forward to with great anticipation. And the Lord will lead us from the skies towards heaven. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. For to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Brothers and sisters, as we approach glory, we will be greeted by thunderings of singing. Thunderings emanating from heaven. Welcoming a bride that is adorned for her husband. Arrayed in linen, clean and white which is described as the righteousness of the saints. Where exactly did that come from? For those of you who may not know, it's not ours. It has been given to us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And accepting, in accepting his shed blood on our behalf, he washes our unrighteousness with the blood that he's built so that we might be presented in this way 
A bride adorned for her husband, arrayed in linen, clean and white. And the book will be open. What book, you say? The Lamb's Book of Life. For in that Lamb's Book of Life, the Lord Jesus Christ will present us by name to the Father as his chosen bride. Your name, brother and sister, and mine will be proclaimed before the Almighty Father by Jesus himself who says, Lord God Almighty, this, this is my bride. And you know what is said of us at that time? As all brides, as all brides at the wedding, the word tells us that we will receive a new name. What bride doesn't receive a new name? We shall. We shall receive a name that only the Lord Jesus knows as he welcomes us as his chosen bride. Oh, what a beautiful day that will be. I think of another book that uh, perhaps gets little to no mention that will also be open that day as we arrive in glory. And it is a book of remembrance. In Malachi, we would read these words, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Oh, this one doesn't get enough play, brothers and sisters. You see, as we speak one to another in the love of Christ, And as we challenge and edify one another, as we provoke one another to love and good works, a book of remembrance is being written. And the Lord Jesus says that he will will appreciate that book in bringing to remembrance those oft conversations of encouragement and love that we had shared one with another. I love that fact, that he remembers that detail and appreciates us in such a magnanimous way. Oh, how about the book of works? Shall we talk about that for a moment? What will it say? What will it say, believers, about our works? You know, I have some insight. I've searched the scriptures. I have some idea of what we're going to hear that day. When the book of works is displayed for us, let me read part of what I believe you and I will hear in two different references. Jesus' own words again. Listen to this list of works. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when they shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I love that list of works. There's more. Let me read one more list. Also, Jesus' own words when he said, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. And this one, brothers and sisters, we will be surprised to hear. Because the scripture goes on to say that we will respond, Lord, when did we do these things? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When were you in prison? When was I a stranger? When were you a stranger and I took you in? And the Lord will say, because you have done it to the least of these, my brethren. You have done it unto me. I love those lists. And I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that this list of works doesn't scratch the surface. And how then will we be sentenced? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. A crown of righteousness to go on top of a robe of righteousness. The word goes on to say, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them, that love him. So brothers and sisters, as you are tempted in this life, know this fact. That in overcoming 
The Lord is preparing for you a crown of life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Thirdly, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I'll take that sentence every day. I accept that judgment every day with much thanksgiving. And the Word talks about the time when we as believers stand together with our crowns and we will unitedly cast them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because we of ourselves will not deserve a single one. It is all because of Him, His love for us, His grace for us, his promises to us, and the fact that we have embraced him as our Lord and Savior, and he has reserved these crowns for you and I, which I look forward to casting at his feet. I think of another reference about this wedding feast that you and I will enjoy. It'll be the greatest celebration the galaxy has ever seen and ever will. And one of the things that I remember so dearly about the Lord Jesus, before he was crucified at his last supper, he met with his disciples, he broke bread, he passed a cup of wine around, and he said, this do as often as ye will in remembrance of me, and I will not drink again of this cup of the vine, of the fruit of the vine, until I drink it with you in the kingdom of heaven. I look so much forward to the Lord raising his glass with the fruit of the vine as he takes after thousands of years of waiting for that moment when he is reunited with his bride. And he says, drink with me. Drink with me the fruit of the vine, which I promised to abstain from until we met in heaven. Oh, maybe that's insignificant to you. Maybe it's irrelevant to you. To me, it's precious because he has kept his promise. Oh, I look forward. I look forward to receiving that cup directly from his hand. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I don't know about you. But I know he's a great builder. And I have often thought, about the new Jerusalem coming down from glory. 
and how it's mentioned that it's four square. And I often wondered, how is that, that a city could be four square? Recently, I had the very great privilege and blessing of having at least a temporal and physical view of a city that was built on the side of a dormant volcano ridge. And this city was gleaming white, stacked story upon story upon story up the side of this magnificent cliff of the volcano. And for the first time in my life, I had a vision of how heaven could be four square. How, this, how, this, how the homes and mansions could be stacked, literally stacked to the sky. It was fabulous. And it gave me some insight into the glory that awaits the, at the new Jerusalem. Judgment. Number two. I don't like this one much. I hate it. I hate it with a righteous hatred. But it is as real as what I just described. Because the scripture says that it is true. We read this evening, these are the true sayings of God. I must, I must, I must. Remember what we read? The poor man, the faithful man, the believing man, says he was carried into the bosom of Abraham. What does it say about the other man? It says he died and was buried. You will notice it does not say that Lazarus was buried. It says the rich man was buried. Now, some may say that the Lord Jesus was using this in parable form. Maybe. I'm not convinced. I believe that even though this might have a parable application, that the descriptions that Jesus uses of hell and the bosom of Abraham are deadly accurate. And we have to reflect upon that as much as I hate at this moment to do so. It says that the rich man died and was buried. Goes on to say, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
You see, there's coming a time. My yet unsaved friend. That this could be true for you. You could find yourself in exactly the same state. You will die, and rather than the angels of God carrying you away into the bosom of Abraham, you will be buried and immediately find yourself in what Jesus says is hell. And in torment, this man had the capacity somehow to see into the bosom of Abraham, a great distance. And he cried out to Abraham, I'm tormented here. Have mercy on me. And Abraham responds. He says, there's a great gulf between me and you. You can't come here. I can't send anyone in there. There's no help coming. What happens one day, my friend? Yet unsaved? When you die and you are buried, And you know those monuments that say, rest in peace? That won't apply to you for a single, solitary second. Not a second. There will be no rest. There will be only torment. You will languish in pain and in torment and in torture for a very long time in hell. You may call upon the Lord. You may ask for mercy. You may say, Lord, I'm tormented in this heat. You may ask for someone to bring you water. You may say, Lord, send me water. And you know what his response may be? When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was hungry, you fed me not. When I was a stranger, you took me not in. When I was in prison, you came not to me. Now they are comforted, and you are tormented. I have good news, and I have really horrible news. The good news is, you will only be in this place, more or less, a thousand years. That's the good news. The horrible news, you will only be in this place, more or less, a thousand years. Because the resurrection 
has not yet occurred. The judgment, the great white throne judgment, has not yet occurred. The believers during this thousand years, we are told, we read, that we as believers will be made kings and priests, return with the Lord Jesus to rule for a thousand years on the earth. And when that thousand years is up, we read in Revelations that the second resurrection will take place. Blessed is he who has part in the first resurrection. That doesn't sound so good for those in the second resurrection. Now I want to read how Daniel describes this event. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him thousands and thousands of thousands ministered unto him that stood before the throne. The judgment was, was set and the books were opened. What books? What books? The book of life, yes. The book of life will be opened. And you may think that by chance your name is there you would be wrong. You would be wrong. David in Psalms wrote of those whose names are blotted out. It's also mentioned in the New Testament of those who are blotted out. And there are two reasons that your name is blotted out. One, sin that will lead to a life of sin and end in a life of sin will blot out your name according to David's words in Psalms. The other thing that will blot out your name is not accepting the Lord Jesus and his shed blood on your behalf. That will also blot out your name. However, you have a great deal to do with that blotting. Yes, it is the Lord who will actually erase the name, but your participation in sin, your participation in choosing something over Jesus, someone else over the Savior, is putting the eraser in his hand. I remember a discussion I had with a young lady many years ago. I had a sermon that was about that passage which speaks about those that Jesus challenged, that they had to, and I'm using the words of the scripture, if you do not hate your mother 
and your father and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple? She came up to me after the service and was distraught that there would be such a verse. And I said, you have to understand what the Lord is implying here. He's saying that if there is anything in your life, even someone as dear to you as a mother or a father that keeps you from me, that keeps you from Jesus Christ, that you cannot come to him and be his disciple. And I must ask you this evening, young people, old people, whoever you are, who are you holding on to that keeps you from serving the living God? What is it that is so dear and precious to you that you cannot become his disciple? You see, you are holding the eraser. And then, as you stand before this unbelievable sight that is the throne of God, what will those books say? Will there be any surprises? Why don't you for a moment turn to the book of works that has your name on it? You know, the Lord knows what that, what's on that page. And there's someone else that knows it nearly as well as he. And that person is you. You know that page. Yes, you do. You know every thought. You know every evil motive. You know every sin listed on that page. And let me tell you, that will haunt you forever. He won't even need to read that page. You could recite it yourself. But he will. He will read it. He will open the law, another one of the books that will be there. He will have the law before him, and he will have your book of works before him. And he will start reading the law. And then he will compare that to your page, and this is what you will hear. The law says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And on your page, it says, guilty as charged. On the law, the page will say, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And we will turn, he will turn to your page, and he will say, guilty as charged. He will go to the law and say, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He will look at your page, and he will say, guilty as charged. He will go to the law and say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He will go to your page and you will know, he said, guilty as charged. He will go to the law and say, honor thy father and thy mother. And he will go to your page 
And you can say, guilty as charged. Thou shalt not kill, guilty as charged. Thou shalt not commit adultery, guilty as charged. Thou shalt not steal, guilty, guilty, guilty. And then there'll be this one. He will say, my word says, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. He that has not believed God, whose word is true, hath made God a liar. And he will look at your page and he will say, guilty as charged. He will go to his word again and again and again and again. In Matthew, we read these words. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he will look at you. And he will say, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. I promised you that I would prove to you that Jesus loves you. He died. He shed his blood. He accepted your sin upon himself. He left mansions of glory. He was estranged from his almighty father because of your sin so that he could prove to you how much he loves you. Because it took all of what I just said for him to offer you this choice. This choice tonight. And the choice is this. You get to choose your own judgment. The choice is yours. I beg you, consider 
Consider the cost that it took to offer you this choice. Choice number one. I pray to God that we have a massive amount of choices for number one tonight. If there's someone here, if there is one person here that chooses number two, you will get your choice. 